of a holy mess with his holy mess podcast father paul uh this i believe is going to be episode 29 possibly 30 i'm not really sure uh and i'm always happy to have a guest in studio uh because it, it's just better i think one-on-one it's better unfortunately you don't get to see that person on video because i don't yet have the equipment like I've, you see the, the the people on youtube when i'm only using my computer and they're like away somewhere and we're doing like a, a zoom thing uh but when i have somebody in the studio i don't have cameras to pick that up so uh hey if you want to donate uh check out the links in the show notes and that's what that will go to but We are still in the Easter season, and I have uh, a friend of mine here, uh, Father Bogomil. Father Father Bogomil, how do you say your last name? Mishuk. Mishuk. Father Bogomil Mishuk, a priest, a brother priest of mine from the Archdiocese of Newark. And uh, I'm like, I'm looking at this because I'm not used to having people here. So like when I'm talking to the audience, I look at the microphone, but I promise I will look at you at some point. That's fine. I won't be offended. I was doing that earlier today with Abby Johnson. Like she's like here on the screen and I'm like, you know, I'm talking to the mic and I should have warned her. Like I happen to talk, look to the mic when I'm talking to the audience. Uh, and then I'll look at you. That's fine. You're focused. That's key. <laughs> amen. 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 And uh, yeah. So uh, Father Bogomil, priest for the Archdiocese of Newark. And currently you are, where are you stationed? So I am a chaplain, a teacher, and obviously a priest at St. Hall Preparatory School. It's an all boys Catholic high school in the Archdiocese of Newark in West Orange. It's historically been affiliated, connected to St. Hall University, which some of your listeners might uh, know much better. Um, so the high school and the university were both founded uh, together and um, they really? started that relationship. Yes, 1856. Wow. By the nephew of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. Ah, there so you go. We're the oldest Catholic uh, high school in New Jersey, uh, largest Catholic all-boys school in New Jersey, and the only Catholic uh, school in New Jersey directly connected to St. Elizabeth Ann Seton because our founder, Bishop uh, James Roosevelt Bailey, was a nephew of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. He's buried alongside his aunt. Where were they buried? Emmitsburg, at the, at the shrine uh, where... Seems with Anne Seaton's buried. I've been there. I yes. have actually been there. Wow, interesting. No, so in 1856, was she still alive? No, she was already. Uh, she already passed away. She passed away in 1821, if I recall the top of my head. Holy cow! But uh, but James Roosevelt Bailey wanted to honor his aunt, um, the future saint, and he named the school after her. All right, all right. So, uh, and how long have you been there now? So it's going to be three years in August. Uh, no, it's it, not. Yeah, three my th- years. Third year teaching. So I are teach. you out of your mind? Yeah, I mean, not, I mean, is he out of mind? What am I talking about? <laughs> no, and I am I very just, sane, Father Paul. No, <laughs> I know. I just can't believe that it's been almost Time three years flies. since you left. You were you were at St. Catherine's in Glenrock. Yes, I was um, ordained in 2016. I was a parish priest for four years in Bergen County, New Jersey, St. Catherine's Church in Glenrock, and in the midst of COVID, um, in the summer of 2020, I was uh, transferred to St. Hall Prep, which happens to be my alma mater, class of 2008, so very proud of that. Uh, so coming back to the school where perhaps I would say half the teachers there were teachers that I had. And the priest that now I live with at what we call the Seton House, um, the, the residence for the priests, were my high school principal and my freshman year guidance counselor. Now I'm living them uh, in residence with them, which is, which is awesome. It's a, it's a great environment. Wow. 
Well, and I, I, I do know that it was, uh, it was tough for you to leave parish life. You were very committed. You were very loved at St. Catherine's. I, I know you would probably not say that about yourself, but I know, you know, the, the people uh, were deeply, um, uh, especially the young adult group that you were involved in, Inspire, uh, over at Our Lady Mount Carmel in Ridgewood with the connection of those parishes, which, by the way, I'm going back next month. Oh, I'm so happy. Yeah, and actually, you shouldn't say this, but I'm a little jealous, but very happy for you. Hey, come. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm, I I'm, I'm just doing a comedy now. Oh, I, I probably should. And, and honestly, I always have an open invitation, so, so me not going coming as frequently it's more my fault than anything because I always have an open invitation so I love the young adult group there the, the youth there at the parish and, yeah. and basically everyone in the parish it's, it was a great parish or is a great parish I, I, I loved being stationed there was an awesome first assignment um, and uh, I was asked to to, to move to, to the school they needed a chaplain a priest there at the school and, and I love what I'm doing there too yeah, you were just telling me, you and I were talking as I was eating dinner and not offering you any. Uh, well, <laughs> thanks for being you, generous. <laughs> yeah, well, you had, uh, you had already eaten. I did. Um, but uh, first of all, thanks for coming on last second. Uh, so this is how a Holy Mess podcast works. I'm doing an episode on Divine Mercy, uh, like in Divine Mercy Sunday, after Divine Mercy Sunday, not before. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but it's all good. We're still in the Easter season. And, uh, you know, the Divine Mercy is more than just Divine Mercy Sunday. And uh, I asked uh, Bogomil, well, really, I guess, uh, a stereotypical, uh, because he's Polish. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I just assumed, no, I didn't just assume assume that he had devotion to the divine mercy because that's where the the divine mercy devotion came out of was Poland but him and I actually went to Poland together on the same exact pilgrimage back in I believe it was 2009 correct it was the 30th anniversary of Pope John Paul II's first visit back to Poland correct. as Pope exactly. which happened in 1979 correct so we did a pilgrimage run by Father Doug Malewski mm-hmm. and um oh who's the other professor Dr. Quinn Dr. Quinn Dermot oh Quinn. Dermot Quinn I'm so yeah, sorry from Seton Hall University and we did two weeks there in the footsteps and it was amazing it was yeah, it was I know it was. wasn't your first time in Poland it was my first mm-hmm. time in Poland um, and it was beautiful. We did so much. Uh, and I know that you're also a big lover of, of John Paul II. Absolutely. Um, and, but one of the places that we went on pilgrimage to was to uh, the Divine Mercy Shrine, uh, as well as, you know, Lady Shostakovich and all that yep. stuff. So what is, I mean, like, so that was kind of stereotypic of me. But, like, but it's a good it, stereotype. And is, I think it's a very, very appropriate one because as Polish people, um, especially Polish Catholics, because our religion and our nationality are very often interconnected. Mm. So when we call ourselves, like we say, I'm Polish Catholic, kind of like I'm Irish Catholic. Like if you're Irish, you're Catholic. You're Catholic, you're Irish. The same thing. You're Polish, you're Catholic, you're Catholic, you're Polish. Uh, they, go, <laughs> they, 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 go, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And it's a good stereotype to have. And I think uh, with the legacy of St. Faustina and John Paul II, it, it almost is that responsibility of the Polish people Yes, there's that national pride that comes along with it, but almost that that responsibility, like, like this is not just a message of a saint or of a pope, but this is our gift as the Polish nation to the people to bring them closer to, to Jesus Christ, to evangelize them, to especially in our society, which has so fallen away from uh, the faith and, and the need for salvation and redemption to, to say, like, come back, like, 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 y- y- we all need help. We all uh, need to, 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 to be healed and cleansed. And, um, and we all need that mercy. And to make that message known, I think, is 
a responsibility of first of all every priest but but every polish person i think so i think it's 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 very appropriate and i think it's not stereotypical in the wrong sense on on your end all right well good thank i i started to sweat a little bit <laughs> uh so what exactly so here we are and obviously you know uh mercy when we think of mercy we think of god's love and a lot of people think about you know the sacrament of confession which a lot of people are afraid of and we will talk about the sacrament of confession we can't speak about god's mercy without talking about the great sacrament of healing but there is a specific divine mercy would you call it? it's more than a devotion what would you call it uh, I mean, it's I think it's, I it's, think it's, it's generally called a divine mercy devotion, but it, I think it's like one of those large scale devotions. It, um, it's one of those devotions that's, uh, that, that, that's so widely encompassing because I think even though we make the connection of divine mercy to uh, the sacrament of confession very appropriately, but I think it also has an incredible connection to the Eucharist. Uh, if you think about like the divine mercy chaplet, uh, and we could go into some details about how it's connected to the Eucharist, but it really taps into the life of uh, of the Christian in every respect. So therefore, one of the hesitancies or one of the, the challenges that was posed towards Pope John Paul II creating Divine Mercy Sunday and, and making it uh, so universal within the church is like, it's a private revelation. Like, like, like you, you can't make of it a bigger deal than it is, uh, as a private revelation, but at the same time, John Paul II's uh, angle, I think very correctly is, but it touches upon everything that is so essential in our Catholic faith. So therefore the divine mercy devotion uh, spurs an increase in um, the frequency of receiving the sacrament of confession, but I think it also so spurs on an increase in the devotion to the Eucharist and, and, and Holy Communion, um, um, a greater love of, of prayer um, as well. Um, so it, it touches upon like everything that's vital and essential to our Catholic faith. So it's it's more than just a private revelation, even no, though it's usually just called a devotion. When you say devotion. private revelation, what do you mean by that? For the people that are listening mm -hmm. that might have no idea. So there's uh, two different types of revelations when it comes to the church, right? Public revelation and private revelation. Can you briefly just explain the difference between the two? Sure. So public revelation is uh, sacred scripture and the, the tradition of the church, apostolic tradition specifically. So public revelation is said to have concluded with the death of the final apostle, uh, the beloved disciple. St. John. Uh, so around the year 100 or, or 80 to 100 is when public revelation would have been uh, okay. completed. And then private revelation is uh, revelation that's of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the Blessed Virgin Mary, of St. Joseph, of one of the saints to a, per a particular person throughout history. Um, it's usually to bring about greater awareness, exposure, reverence to a certain aspect of um, of that which is at the core of, at the heart of the church. Uh, so you have, for example, Marian apparitions to increase the devotion and love to the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Mother of God. You have um, apparitions, for example, uh, to like St. Margaret Mary Alacoque about the sacred heart of Jesus uh, that emphasize the tenderness love of Jesus. And St. Faustina received revelations, uh, visions, communications with our blessed Lord um, in a private manner. So she was, uh, to, to give a little bit of backstory for those that might not be as familiar, uh, born in 1905 in uh, what is now Poland. Poland was under uh, German and Russian 
an Austrian partition, so it was divided. wasn't on the map. Didn't exist it on the map. At didn't the time. exist on the map. On the map, uh, so politically it was not an entity, but nationally and spiritually it certainly was. Sure. Uh, and how old is the country of Poland? So it dates back to 966. So it's over a thousand years old. It's over a thousand fifty years old, uh, but it ceased to be on the map. Uh, on the map, politically, it was eaten up by its neighbors, um, 1795, and then got back on the map uh, after World War One, 1918. That was one of the things that um, yeah. brought resulted in World War One, and, and came came to a resolution that was brought back. I was so ignorant until I w went on that trip of Poland. I had no idea. I mean, I had a a little bit of idea obviously because of world war ii of like what your country country yeah. went through but like i i could not believe like just the the history and just the the i mean i guess the brutalness yeah. i mean being erased from the map two or three times yeah. and obviously the world wars and, and everything so the polish people have been through so much sure sure very resilient absolutely and and uh in the theme of being a holy mess, kind of jumping all over the place here. Um, one thing that Pope John Paul II writes in his final book in 2005, uh, published only a few weeks before he passed away, Memory and Identity, um, he talks about a conversation that he had with a priest, if I recall, uh, from Belgium. Um, he might have been a seminarian at that time, or no, he probably was a priest but studying in Rome. And in the conversation uh, with the, that priest, um, he said, uh, or he asked the, that that priest a question, like like why is it so unfair? Like you guys in the West, Belgium, France, England, seem to have it so much easier than us um, in Central and Eastern Europe. Like the Polish people constantly being beaten up and sacked, and and and, and war after war, and, and and slaughter after slaughter. Like 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 why why is it that 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 you have it one way that yeah, that seems yeah, yeah. to be easier. And it always is, you know, grass is always green on the what other side, but why is it? And, and the Belgian priest said to him, look, um, because we wouldn't be able to deal with what you've do, what you've been dealt with. We wouldn't have been able to survive what you've survived. So therefore, for, um, you suffered what you suffered uh, because you had the grace to suffer it while we wouldn't have been had the grace to suffer um what we've suffered and therefore the divine mercy john paul ii writes in that chapter he says it's not a coincidence that, that it came out um in the bloodbath of europe uh the bloodlands of europe which which poland is um and it came about between world war one and world war two the two greatest world wars in history because the only remedy to the bloodshed, the wars, the the animosity, um, the, the the human depravity is the, is mercy. There's no way to, to have peace, to have reconciliation, to have forgiveness uh, without mercy. And therefore, in the midst, at the heart of the problem, that's in the heartland of Europe, is also given to us the solution um, uh, to that problem. So 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 John Paul II in that book, much better than you know, I could paraphrase it. Uh, says how providential it is that that's where divine mercy came about. All right. So, in did you say 1905? No. 1905. Uh, Saint uh, Faustina was born. She okay. died 1938, a year before World War One. Excuse me, World War Two started, uh, and uh, she died at the age of 33, the, the age that Jesus died on the cross as well. So, all right. So, who is she? And what happened? How did this all get started? What, why? Why does this matter for these for the listeners, for the world, for the church? Who's this woman, and what happened? Uh, so, so from a human perspective, very simple. She only had 
about a fourth grade education and never had uh, schooling afterwards. Um, and even as a young girl, she felt an extreme close connection to our Lord Jesus, um, felt uh, m- more than just a presence. She felt that, that, that our Lord was truly communicating with her. Uh, she was called to the religious life, and she lived outside of Warsaw. Um, and in Warsaw, she went uh, to, to apply to, to enter religious life. Um, and she was guided to religious life by our Lord. She felt that our Lord was calling her to religious life. And she's like, well, which congregation should I um, join? It's like, it will be made known to you. So she literally went through Warsaw. Uh, and again, we're talking about a major city and they've, uh, uh, that's extremely religious, very pious. And she's going door to door to different convents. And for whatever reason, um, and I don't know all the details as to the reasons. Like she gets rejected from every single convent. Like, like no, we 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 you shouldn't apply to our convent. And the last convent that that she goes to um, says, yes, we'll take you. You can you can be one of our postulants. You can be information with us. And and after experiencing rejection on a massive scale from religious life, after hearing our Lord is telling her to enter religious life, she is accepted by the last convent possible. And our Lord's like, that's where you're meant to be. That's the convent you're meant to, be, uh, meant to be. And she becomes a religious sister. She lives most of her life actually. In, what order was that? Uh, it was, I think, Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament. I might be confusing the words. No, I, uh, I don't know. I, I, but but that, that's the, the order. Um, I think it's 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 uh, the Blessed Virgin, the order of our Blessed Virgin Mary of the Blessed Sacrament. I okay, think. Okay. Um, but I'm going off the top of my head here. Yeah, sorry. Hey, uh, man, this is the hot seat. Right exactly. Here, you know? so, no. <laughs> you're not the only one that can be a holy mess. <laughs> you got you to share that holy mess. Hey, you're not allowed to come on this podcast unless you're a holy mess. Okay. Well, I feel honored. All right. Well, I don't. Yeah. So, matter of fact, I think you probably. I don't really see you as a holy mess, but you're allowed here anyway. We're all holy messes. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we're more of the holy rather than the mess. But when we're the mess, then we turn to confession. We. we Amen. We go to the other end. And he turns our mess into a beautiful message of Absolutely. hope. Absolutely. So in Krakow... Uh, Can I just ask yeah. a question, though? Is it true um, that, like, she was, like, before she entered the convent, she was, like, at a dance or something? Yeah. And, like, the Lord appeared to her mm-hmm. and kind of, like, really challenged her? Like, sure. wasn't she, like, maybe straying a little bit? And- no, she wasn't straying a little bit. Uh, she, um, she was at a dance just having fun, like you know, any teenager would. And it wasn't like a party, like, you know, Friday night party. It was, it was like a like a village social. Uh, was, her whole family was there. It was kind of like a festivity, like a festival okay, that, yeah, that she yeah. was a part of. It wasn't like at a club in New York City yeah, back she, in she, like she, yeah, in she, 1915, she, you know? No, no. Um, and, and our Lord is saying, okay, look, everyone's having a great time, but I'm suffering. I'm suffering because of the sins, not because there's something bad happening at the quote-unquote party at the festival but but just the sense of the world and it's and she felt so convicted and so bad like i'm having a good time at this party and yet our lord is suffering because of the sins of so many like so many people are so eager and quick to go to a festival a um a social event and not so much a a religious event and and to use an analogy think about like our street festivals um parish festivals you have people coming out of the woodwork from everywhere coming to uh you know like a like a saint anne's festival or saint giuseppe festival or whatever 
uh, like a parish feast. Um, they're there for, for the Zeppelis and the Cannolis, but then it's like, okay, let's have a procession and let's have the rosary in church and it's like a handful of people there. Yeah. But everyone's in the parking lot, you know, having the time of their life. So it's kind of like the same thing, like, okay, um, you know, and I'm not downplaying that, that, that we should cancel all church feasts and festivals. No, but I understand but, but, what but, you're but, but there's something to be said. It's like, 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 our Lord, the reason we have all these feasts and festivals are because of... Um, yeah, the Zeppeli should lead to the Eucharist. The Eucharist, exactly. <laughs> you shouldn't be just hungering for the for the Zeppeli. You should be uh, hungering for the Eucharist even more than the Zeppeli. Can I just say something? So I, I um, went to see... Uh, I know this is different because this is... You're talking about like parish socials. Mm. Um, but I, I went to a concert the other night, uh, Bruce Springsteen. And this happens often like when I go to concerts, but especially with him, like... I look around because there's a part of the show where um, at the end he uh, puts on the lights of the entire arena or the stadium, and you could, I mean, you just see like everyone. Like so, the other night I was in uh, the the Prudential Center right here, and uh, I don't know how many twenty thousand people maybe sure. maybe fifty. Yeah. I, I don't know how many people. Whatever it is, and I'm looking. I mean, the place is packed, packed, yeah. right? And they're all like everybody's having an amazing time, glorious time, like. For for this one guy, because this one guy's music, this yeah. one guy, and like, and I and I love it, and I love his music, right? I don't like his politics, but I like his music, anyway. And it just kind of saddened me that like there I was on a Friday night, and there's like forty to fifty thousand people going wild, and I know that like, like a, just a fraction, a sure. fraction of them will be on church on Sunday. Yeah, you know. Now some may say, well, you know, Bruce's music is, you know, not as boring as as Mass or whatever, or you know, it's not as entertaining. I get it. Mass is not right. meant to be entertainment, but it's just always like, the, there's people out there. There's people out there that show up to stuff, and yet it's like kind of like you're saying, people will come to the parish feast, but they might not go to the Mass, you know. And yeah. we need to do a better job at that as well. But I digress. But you make a good point because I think that's what uh, St. Faustina as a young girl kind of felt. Maybe in a more uh, poignant um, uh, way in, in which our Lord revealed that to her. But it was kind of the same feeling that, that, that you had um, at that concert. So even before she was a nun, she was having apparitions yeah, as, a, as a teenager, yes. As yes. a teenager. Okay, yes. so she goes in the convent. So she goes in a convent. Um, she lives most of her life in Krakow, in, uh, what is southern Poland. And very beautifully, you have three of the greatest saints of the 20th century all living within walking distance of each other, within five, ten miles of each other. You have St. Faustina, St. John Paul II, and St. Maximilian Kolbe, all three of them with walking distance. So three of the greatest saints, all focusing on mercy, all focusing on the conversion of sinners, uh, all making a, a humongous impact on Wait, the they 20th know, century. Did they know each other? And none of them knew each other. None of them knew each other. So so three great saints um, that didn't know each other and yet really incredible that that uh, and John Paul II later on becoming the linchpin because he's the one that canonizes St. Faustina yeah, canonizes yeah. uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe amazing. as well amazing God is amazing and yeah and, and you see um, sacrifice devotion um, and the desire for conversion uh, in all three of them and, and mercy mercy really touches on on the lives of all three of them wow praise God yeah so what happens one day, like she, she's a nun and she's just praying and then the Lord appears to her? So the Lord like, appears to St. Faustina. How divine mercy devotion get started? So, so our Lord appears to her countless times. Um, 
regularly um, our, our, our Lord asks her to record her, his conversations with her and hence the diary which is like 800 pages long depending on the edition and she records her diary or um, she has a spiritual director in Krakow and then later on she's transferred to Vilnius which was part of Poland now it's the capital of Lithuania so so she lives so there Jesus Christ yeah. appears to her yes. and says I want you to write this down yes I want you to write this down and he appears to and, and she only has a fourth grade education so she's barely able to write, um, which becomes very complicated because her diary is, from a grammatical perspective, linguistic perspective, very hard to understand. Uh, and because it's she, she's trying to write in, mm. in, a, in a way that she's not a good writer. Got it. And so, so it's theologically deep and rich, but linguistically it's riddled with errors. She can't spell, she can't punctuate, she can't, she doesn't know her grammar. And so on one hand, it's like, this is doctor of the church quality material in terms of content. And like, you know, fourth grade Why do you reading, think the Lord writing, does that? Why would the Lord have chosen her, someone, he wanted this message to go out to the whole world. He wanted her to write this down and yet she could barely... Uh, read and write. Why does the Lord do things like this? I think for the. I think <laughs> give I, us the ultimate answer. <laughs> so this is the ultimate answer. Uh, I think it's the purity of the message. So it's our Lord that comes through. It's not Saint Faustina that she is a a a pure channel, uh, because too often those that are. Um, that know too well, so to speak, they put their spin to it. They they they, they put their influence. They they. Um, embellish it but if someone is so pure uh innocent uneducated they just convey the message as is you think about like someone like like saint bernadette subaru uh, mary appears to her says i am the immaculate conception she goes to the bishop it's like well uh, this woman dressed in white says i am the immaculate conception the bishop like, almost falls out of his seat like like, like, do you know what that means? Like, we just proclaimed the dogma of the Immaculate Conception four years ago. Do you know what that means? Like, I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> I, 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 I'm barely able to pronounce the words. She just said Immaculate because I have no clue what that means. I, I just see her as a lady and dressed in white and she was a really beautiful lady. I'm just telling you the facts. Like, you figure out what this all thing is. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, so just the purity. It's like, like you just get the message you just get the facts as is without it being tainted by you know the person yeah. uh that, that that's conveying the message so that's why i think you know our, our, our lady or our lord appears to children very often there's that purity um there isn't that agenda that that's that's there that very often sometimes mm. to people that are too sophisticated they're they're too smart for their own good in a way all right, so how did it start to go from like okay jesus is appearing to her nobody knows about this she's mm -hmm. writing these things down and then here you and I are in, you know, Harrison, New Jersey, talking about it, you know, a um, hundred, almost a hundred years. Yeah, yeah about a yeah, hundred years, years ago. Now, I know years we're here. skipping a lot, but not that we want to skip, but so who did she, did she tell anybody so about it? How did this get out? So it's nothing short of a miracle, really, uh, because she, again, um, in that, that pure sense, she has no clue how this is going to get out to the world. She, she is a nun. She has contact with almost no one outside the convent um the key and this is an important uh aspect 
uh, to this the devotion to the um, divine mercy is her spiritual director. The key is the spiritual director uh, because she has a spiritual director in um, Krakow, uh, Father Andras, and then later on when she goes to Vilnius, she has a spiritual director, Father Sopochko, who's now blessed, Michael Sopochko, and they are key because our Lord uh, emphasizes listen to your spiritual director, follow your spiritual director, have the spiritual director um, give you uh, the directives as to what you do, how you do. And even though she is communicating to, with our Lord Jesus Christ himself, she is fully obedient to the spiritual director. And our Lord Jesus Christ says, nothing pleases my soul more than, than you being obedient to your spiritual director. Really? Yes. All right, so for those that don't know, very briefly, what is a spiritual director? So a spiritual director, also oftentimes a confessor, is a priest that you have a standing relationship with that you... Um, very often go to confession to on a regular basis, but also that knows the state of your soul that you go into within what we call internal forum, confidentiality, uh, what's going on in your life, uh, okay. spiritually, morally. Um, so, so he helps you discern uh, the discernment of spirits. How is the Lord working in your life? What is the Lord asking of you? Um, so, so that's what a spiritual director would, would provide. So she goes to her spiritual director and says... Um Jesus is appearing to me mm -hmm. and I'm writing this stuff down now. Does he, what is he, does he think she's crazy? Does he believe her? Like what, what, what is his first reaction? Very neutral. Uh, he says, just keep, keep doing what you're doing. Let's, let's observe. Uh, let's see how this is playing out. Um, Father blessed. Now, uh, Michael Sapochko was, um, a professor at, at the university. He was an extremely educated man, very smart man. Uh, so he was. He would be able to evaluate her private revelations from a theological perspective to make sure that they're sound. Um, he is the one that that kind of cautiously encouraged her um, in terms of what she was uh, receiving, what she was writing down. Um, so when our Lord says, for example, to have the image of the divine mercy painted, she has no contact with any artist. She has no clue how to have this image painted. She can't paint herself. Uh, um, so he helps her find a painter. And the crazy thing is that this is uh, a drunk, down and out painter who's like, um, broke and he is an atheist and he's uh, a mason. How'd she get him? Uh, and he's the only one that, that that would do it for, you know, for, for I don't know if either for free or for low cost. So Jesus like, said, I want you to paint what, what does he say? This image? Paint me? Like, does he appear? He appears to her and says, paint this image as you appear and have it underneath a label, Jesus, I trust in you. And he appears to her, so now she has to describe the image to uh, the painter. And this is a painter who's half drunk painting, uh, and he is an atheist, and he hates the church, and he hates God, and he's just bitter. His life is a mess. Talk about a mess. And here he is painting the divine mercy image. A holy mess. A holy mess indeed. Um, Not and, the image, him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And, and there's a transformation that happens uh, as he's painting the image. Um, we don't know all the details about it. It's really shut in, in, in a mystery um, because he dies during World War II. Uh, he's killed um, uh, by the Nazi Germans. 
um, all his paintings are destroyed. So we have not a single painting or copy of any of his paintings. The only painting that we have of his is the Divine Mercy painting. Get out of here. That's the only painting. We have nothing else. And we know that there's something happening in his life, but we don't know what's happening. Like, like so, so there's this shroud of mystery. Like As he's painting, he's experiencing something we don't really know what he experienced, but there is some kind of conversion that's happening. But yeah, so it's so so that's where we like, um, as our Lord says, like like man sees the outside, but 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 God sees the inside. Yeah. God sees the heart. So there's something stirring in his heart, but it's only it's it's only to 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 God's knowledge as to what's there. But the fact of the matter is that's the only painting that survived of his. Every other. Artwork of his is gone. We have no clue what other stuff he painted. Everything else is destroyed, gone. Do we know how long it took him to paint the Divine Mercy image? Uh, probably we do. I don't. Uh, okay, okay. off the top of my hey, head, you know but, a lot. <laughs> I'm impressed. You talk about you know about this guy and where he died and his paintings weren't survived and all that. Uh, um, yeah, but but and, and she actually does not like the painting Saint uh, Faustina. Yeah, she, she, she doesn't she, like she, it. She hates the painting. She's like, like this is ugly compared to to what our Lord, uh, how the our Lord appeared, and she's crying uh, to uh, our Lord appears to her. It's like, like Jesus, like how could this be? And he's like, like it's not about the artistic quality. It's about what's being conveyed in the painting. My love, my tenderness, and. Let the painting be as is. Is that what he says? Yeah, let the painting be as is because it's not the artistic quality that's important. Look beyond the artistic quality. Uh, later on, there's actually three versions of the Divine Mercy painting. That's what I was going to say because there's a couple. There's there two is. that I know of. Yes, there's one so there's that I like better. Yes. And I, I don't think that's the original. But but interesting that God would say that because I would uh, think that art and beauty are like really supposed to be like kind of, I don't know. I mean, I didn't realize he said it's not about the artistic quality because I would think that that the beauty pulls people in mm-hmm. to the Lord. So interesting. But it's a good point that you mentioned because he's not uh, endorsing a caricature of himself mm. or he says you should just do any um, modern art that, that, that that's a mess that's not holy. Uh, mm, yeah. But the fact that you see human limitations and human shortcomings and human weaknesses and God able to work through those. So you have an artistic image that is of seemingly low artistic quality. Like if it wasn't a sacred image, um, a religious image, it it probably wouldn't, you know, sell for millions to, to a museum or anything. So that, that, that level from that worldly perspective of artistic quality might be lacking but where uh there is that that human shortcoming the lord supplies uh so so kind of like thinking about again how it connects to like the the, um the eucharist think about uh tantumergo where our senses fail uh our lord's uh supplies um uh our our faith supplies so you see and when you look at the image it's truly a beautiful what is what is the image for those who don't yeah uh, so and i I encourage everyone to look at online um for the image of divine mercy it's basically our lord uh blessing us while he's pointing to his heart uh, from his heart from the wound of his side uh you have blood and water flowing out uh which are the sacraments, uh, because uh, from the side of Jesus is born the church, are born the sacraments, um, and and you have the font of mercy there, uh, the blood and water gushing out. And then underneath that uh, image is Jesus, I trust in you, uh, the caption. And that that is 
what Jesus emphasizes, you must be that caption of Jesus, I trust in you. Uh, whether that caption's in Polish or English or Spanish or, or any language. Um, and that should be our prayer, to trust in Jesus, to trust in his mercy, to trust in his sacraments, to trust in the, the salvific power of his uh, passion, death and, and resurrection. Um, that That is the source of, of our life. Uh, so actually speaking about the image, um, that's where... I connected that to in my homily to um, the gospel for Divine Mercy Sunday, which is always the gospel of doubting Thomas. Yeah. And uh, in, ver- in, in, the, in that gospel, Thomas wants to put his finger in Jesus's hands and put his hand in Jesus's side. Um, and what I highlighted in that is on that eighth day of Easter, um, of all the apostles, who is in most need of mercy? Who is in most need of forgiveness it's thomas because if you think about it um peter denied jesus on good friday but he was there at the resurrection uh at the tomb and in the upper room when jesus appeared to to the apostles uh and jesus says uh peace be with you whose sins you forgive are forgiven whose sins you retain are retained and he institutes on Easter Sunday the sacrament of reconciliation. He forgives the apostles their sins, their betrayal, their denial, their abandonment on Good Friday. He reconciles them. And the one who still is not reconciled, who's still not absolved of his sins is Thomas. So Peter's already absolved. Apostles are absolved. Thomas isn't. And Thomas is like, unless I put my finger in his uh, hand and my hand in his side, I will not believe. And then finally a week later uh thomas comes back to the sheepfold comes back to the communion of the church uh and our lord once again appears peace be with you and he goes to thomas now it's your turn to be forgiven now it's your turn to be absolved and our lord to saint faustina says um the greater the sinner the greater uh they're in need of my mercy and the greater um, my mercy is open and given to them. Uh, and Thomas is that one because at that point, Thomas is the greatest sinner in that room. Uh, however, Thomas is in greater need of God's mercy than any other apostle in that room. And what does Thomas get? He gets the blessed privilege to actually touch Jesus' wounds, which none of the other apostles touch Jesus' wounds. Thomas gets to put his he hand. He got what he wanted. He got what he wanted, yeah. That, I mean, that shows the Lord's mercy. I yeah. Mean, he, I mean, because first of all, he Jesus showed up and said, peace be with you. He could have been like, uh, where were you? <laughs> exactly. What were you doing? <laughs> I mean, in some of the other gospels, it, it, I think it does say he rebukes them, but I I, I don't know. I, sure. I, uh, maybe a little bit, which always confused me because I every single the second Sunday Easter, Divine Mercy Sunday, his first words, peace be with you. Yeah. Like there's no condemnation. There's no, yeah. like he, he forgives them. He forgives them. Yeah. And then, and then he, he breathes the Holy Spirit on them and then gives them, these sinners, yeah. after they're absolved, the, his very power to forgive sins. His very power to forgive sins. Then Thomas comes and says, well, you know what? I'm not going to believe that he was here unless... I could put my hand in his side and put my finger in the holes mm. in his hands. And Jesus is so merciful, so patient that he gives him exactly what he asked for. And exactly. he says, don't be un- unbelieving, but believe. Yeah. I mean, that's his mercy. And just as a side note, and I, I'll probably do a, 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 a other episode just on the sacrament of confession, but a lot of people are like, where in the 
Bible does it say, you know, that you got to confess your sins to the priest? Where is there any proof in the Bible of the sacrament of confession? And uh, it's this passage. Exactly. Like John 20. Is it 21? No, it's 20. Uh, 20. John, 20. John 20. Yeah, the, Jesus says to these men, he breathes on them, gives them the Holy Spirit and said, whoever sins you forgive are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain are retained. And also in Matthew chapter 16, he says this, Jesus says to St. Peter, you are Peter upon this rock. I will build my church. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, whoever sins you forgive are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain are retained. So there's two different biblical examples of Jesus giving his authority to these men, well, really the first priest, to absolve sin. So we'll get into that on, a, on another episode, but there is some biblical proof. Can God forgive outside of the sacrament? He's God. He can't be limited, but it is the way that he instituted. Jesus himself instituted the sacrament of confession, but I digress. Yeah. Um, so the divine mercy, he wants her to paint this image Obviously, the Divine Mercy Journal is very thick. What do you yes. say, 700 it's pages? It's like 700, 800 pages. Right. What is the overall, what is the message? Like, why did he do this? Why did he appear to her? Why did he want this image? I mean, and there's so many other things. There's Divine Mercy Sunday. Mm -hmm. There's the Hour of Mercy. There's the Chapel of Mercy. Why? What, what does he want souls to know more than anything else? Just come to me. Just come to me. Trust in me. Uh, seek my mercy. Um, there's no strings attached. Uh, just come and be forgiven. Uh, so, so often people are just hesitant. It's like, I can't come back to church. I've been away for 20 years. My life's a mess. I don't even know where to begin to, to put the pieces of my life together. Uh, I'm going to get criticized. I'm going to get condemned. I'm going to be judged. I'm, it's, like, it's like, no, just come. Come as you are. As Thomas comes in his mess and... Jesus meets him exactly where he is. This is what you want. This is what you get. And be at peace. And that's what our Lord Jesus is like, 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 like I'm, I'm giving you every possible opportunity imaginable uh, from Divine Mercy Sunday to uh, praying the chaplet at the hour of death of, of someone uh, to um, reading the, the, the beautiful words of, of mercy in, in the diary and how Jesus is like, 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 like I'm giving you everything. The one thing I'm asking is accept. That's all I'm asking of you. I'm doing 99.9999999999% of the work. Just say, I want this. That's all I want. Just say, I want it. Jesus, I trust in you. Yeah. Jesus, I trust in you. That's it. That's it. And that's and that's the message and 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 like every avenue imaginable from the artistic to the literary to the prayerful to the liturgical. Every avenue you have, there, there's no reason why every person in the whole world can't receive God's mercy, can't receive salvation. Um, everyone can, just, just as long as you just desire it, as long as you say, I want this, Jesus. I trust in you. I trust that, that you can make sense out of my nonsense. You can make right out of my wrong. You can bring good out of the badness. You can do this. I trust you can. Yeah. Uh, that's all he's asking. Um, and that's what the whole message is. Um, and the fact that, that for St. Faustina, she does this all in the convent. Um, she dies at the age of 33 in obscurity. 
No one knew about it. Almost no one knows about it. Almost no one knows about it. There's only like the sisters that know about it. There's there's some of the locals that know about it. Father Michael Sapochko has the first Divine Mercy celebration uh, in Vilnius, in what was Poland, now it's Lithuania, uh, there. Uh, Did the other sisters think she was crazy? Or she was supported. She was supported. She, just like with everyone else, cautiously. Uh, everything was cautious. How about uh, the bishop? Um, I don't know the exact uh, connection to the bishop at the time. I know there wasn't any um, any kind of suppression of it or anything. Uh, I don't know whether there was anything explicitly said, endorsing or favoring. Um, in Vilnius, there was a public celebration while she was alive. So that was, really? Mm, I think 1936 or so, 1937. So like the last year or two of her life, the, there was a public celebration. Um, I assume, and I would need to do more research about it, that the bishop had to have been contacted and and, and asked for permission to do the celebration because yeah, it was yeah. a public procession and all. So, but during her lifetime, there wasn't any... Um, there was always caution, but there wasn't any skepticism or downplaying. So she didn't get any fame from it. It was you no. know, she died pretty much in obscurity. She, she died in obscurity, just to the locals that I would have known her. It was after her death, actually, um, that there was increased uh, suspicion of the diary and, and skepticism to, to the diary and towards St. Faustina. Um, because well, let me. Well, often saints go through a lot of persecution. Persecution, before right? And, and, but let me backtrack a little bit. Um, what the one who comes to know of the Divine Mercy uh, message to Saint Faustina is the Bishop of Krakow, Karol Wojtyła, who later on, spoiler alert, becomes John Paul II. And he sees the diary. He thinks it's of immense value. He does, right He away? does, as a, as a bishop, as a young okay. bishop. And he's the one that's promoting it. So he's the one that's making it much and much more known. And he's the one that's open, that opened her case for beatification, canonization. And he's the one that, that, that wants the approval of the diary um, by... Uh, what is now the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Okay. And and he, therefore, he's the one that, that's publicizing it. And he's the one that, as bishop, gets pushback uh, from the Vatican uh, because, unfortunately, uh, the diary gets translated from Polish to Italian. It's hard to understand the diary because it's linguistically full of errors. It's poorly translated to Italian. So when you have the congregation uh, of the doctrine of the faith, um, the holy office as it was called back then uh, reading this, evaluating it, they're skeptical about uh, the theology, they're skeptical that, 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 that things aren't accurate and they suppress it. So the Vatican officially suppresses the Divine Mercy devotion, says the Divine Mercy image cannot be publicly displayed. Um, uh, the Divine Mercy celebration cannot be publicly um, celebrated uh, from the top, from the top, from the Vatican, from the Holy Office itself. Wow! And um, Saint uh, John Paul II, as bishop, um, says no. Uh, he goes along. It's like that's what the the, the for order. those that don't know, he was um, uh, Archbishop, well, first bishop, and then Archbishop of Krakow. Yes, right. Okay. Uh, yes, in before, Poland, way before he was pope. Way before he was pope. So we're talking about nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties. So he is faithful, obedient to, to the decrees of 
the Holy Office of the Vatican, and it breaks his heart. But he has to yeah. put put the, the the image in in private. Uh, but he says like, let's retranslate the diary. Um, let's reanalyze the diary. Um, uh, there's a misunderstanding in the translation. There's a misunderstanding in uh, in how the diary is being presented to mm. to the people in the Vatican, um, to the theological experts there. So let's reevaluate it. Um, and it takes about 15 years. And it's only three months before his election to Pope that the Vatican lifts the ban, lifts the suppression, and says, okay, this is now able to be uh, publicly read, the image mm. is able to be publicly displayed, and devotion is able to be publicly celebrated. So that's three months before he's elected Pope. Um and at that point, now the devotion begins to spread in Poland, uh, around Krakow, southern Poland, and other parts of Poland. Um, and then when John Paul II becomes Pope, he unleashes it on, so a, it really on a global wow. scale. So wow. he really does unleash it on a global scale. But even as Pope, you see how the the, the church works very meticulously and very cautiously because it doesn't just happen overnight. It's not 1979 that he's like, okay, everyone, I'm the Pope, divine mercy, Greatest thing since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here we go. Uh, it, it takes decades to continue to to promulgate it. So my parents, which who lived in Poland, uh, I was born in Poland in 1990. So in the 1980s, before I was born, my parents got married, um, and my mom in Yasnagura at, at the shrine of Our Lady of Częstochowa uh, bought an image of the Divine Mercy there. And she had no clue about it. That's the 1980s. John Paul II was already Pope for a decade at that point. Really? And, and she was at a store and talking about, you know, artistic appreciation. She sees this image of divine mercy in the store in Częstochowa. She's like, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, it's like, what is that? Like, I want to buy that. And it's a big image. It's not a huge image. It's maybe like three feet tall, big image. Uh, it's like, I want to buy that. And, and, and the, the, the sister who was working the, the religious shop there said, that's the divine mercy image. Um, it's not well known now, but soon it will be. So it's worth it. And my mom buys the, the image. And then, yeah, then, so let me just say one more thing. And then she goes home and she shows the image to one of her aunts who was super devout, like, like very pious, like re, constantly read religious books. And my mom goes to her and says, so I picked up this image in Częstochowa um, this nun told me that this is the divine mercy image. I don't know anything about it. Uh, but she said that, that this is going to become a big deal very soon. And her aunt, uh, was like, I've heard about the divine mercy. Oh, something's going to happen. Like cherish that image like that. Something's going to happen with this. I, I've read about it. I don't know the details. Something's going to happen. Uh, so it became like the most treasured thing that we have in our home. It's always been prominent in our home, having that divine mercy image from the 1980s because it was almost like prophetic, like, like hold on to this. Like you have no idea what the divine mercy image is. I know there, I heard there's some kind of diary of some kind of person. Something's going to happen. Oh my gosh. And so she died in the 30s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's, she gets canonized in 93 and it's an American woman, not canonized, excuse me, um, beatified in 1993. It's an American woman that's healed, uh, in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. Uh, and that launches the beatification. And then, uh, obviously then she's canonized in the year 2000, first saint of the new millennium. And it's only since the year 93, but 2000 that it, it gets on a global scale. So when you go back to the eighties, Really? 
8% of the people, 99% of the people really don't know about divine mercy. Uh, what? It's only I didn't in the realize 90s. that. Yeah. Like, what made it, what, because of recanonization? Like, why did it blow up? Why is it everywhere? Now? John Paul II. It was, it was John Paul II, like, like he saw it as his mission uh, to make it known and, and, and to make it known gradually. So, of course, through the beatification, through the canonization, it becomes uh, much more known. Also, you have to remember um, that up to the 1990s, Poland is under communist oppression. Yeah. Uh, so anything religious is banned. So so like religious items, religious artifacts, they can't be published, they can't be, be produced. So, so it's just hard to get the image out, the message out. Uh, and this is where the American connection becomes vital because besides Poland, which was under a lot of restraint, politically because of communism it's the united states that makes it global uh and it's the the the, the marian uh fathers in stockbridge massachusetts and and just americans overall that it becomes hugely uh popular in the united states and through the united states becomes popular to the world so 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 it's interesting that here's the contribution like when we think about you know american culture americanization what are american exports to the world we think of like mcdonald's and fast food and hollywood it's like divine mercy wouldn't be on the global scale if it wasn't for the United States. Because the United States are the ones that, before Poland was able to publish the diaries, produce the diaries, you didn't have the printing presses, you didn't have the the, the permission to print. The United States was printing it Unbelievable. All. And um, I know there's some story about that, about somebody coming from Poland to Stockbridge, and that's how it all started. So, yeah. Because I think you and I, we saw a documentary. There's a great documentary the, yeah. about it. Um, I forget the name of the documentary off the top of my head. It was within the last year or two that yeah. came out. So it was... But uh, we, just, so, let me, so let me just say, because we'll this is just fascinating. So just in two sentences, during World War II... Uh, the image of the divine mercy has to be hidden so it doesn't get destroyed. It miraculously survives being hidden. And uh, one of the priests that has a lot of the, um, the information about the divine mercy, he escapes from Poland uh, through the Soviet Union, which is an ally of Germany at that time, uh, through a miracle to Japan, which is Japan is an Axis power. And somehow from Japan, he gets to the United States as like a refugee. So he's like going from like Axis power to Axis power to Axis power. And he and has like lands, the journal. He and has, she has the stuff. She has, he has all the copies of it. Um, and he lands in the United States and he gets all the way to Massachusetts. And now he's stuck. He can't get back home. He, World War II ends. He can't get back home. So he's stuck. So, so he begins... Uh, producing all this in 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 Massachusetts, um, and that's where it develops, and that's Massachusetts Stockbridge becomes the hub in terms of mass dissemination of the information of of that. So it's truly God at work. It's God's providence every step of the way, because in Saint Faustina's wildest imaginations, like she asks herself, like or she asks our Lord, like how will this message get out to the world? Like how am I supposed to get the message out? I don't know anyone. I, 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 I can't get this message out. And our Lord's like, just trust me. Jesus, I trust in you. I'm going to get the message out. It's not you. You just do what you're told to do. Write the diary. Have the painting painted. That's all I'm asking you to do. I'll take care of the rest. St. Faustina dies. Like, it seems like a lost cause. Yeah. It seems like a failure. Because uh, it's just hers not it's her not in charge. It's our Lord, and who would have thought that 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 it would be like the bishop in Krakow that happens to be later on John Paul II that 
becomes pope and he spreads it throughout the world that you have this obscure priest going through access country after access country getting to the united states and it's in the united states of all countries that that the message is being publicized everywhere it's like like the most random people the people like, like, that you would never hand picked if like, like you wouldn't if, if you were choreographing this like you wouldn't say like this is how this is going to get out like this there's yeah, no yeah, way. No, that's what he does. That's that. Yeah, he does for us what we can't do for ourselves, and nothing is impossible uh, for God in any which way, shape, or form. Uh, and he just wanted the whole world, he the whole world, to know about his never-ending, unfathomable—I don't know if that's the right word—just ocean Beautiful. of mercy, river exactly of mercy, so. ocean of mercy. Talk about yeah. the ocean. I mean. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sit here and say I've read the diary from, you know, cover to cover because I haven't. Um, I'm sure you have. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. Um, but it, it is beautiful. And uh, it, it's all about the, the mercy. And the thing that I, I wanted to say before we get going is I really don't understand, though. Like, to this day, there are people that poo-poo this. Like, I, I just don't get it. Like, I know a priest who, like, refuses to call mm. the second Sunday of Easter the Divine Mercy Sunday. He's like, it's the second Sunday of Easter. It's not Divine Mercy. And, like, he, he thinks it's, like, I don't know, a shame. Like, why would anybody be, be, have a problem with this? There are people in our church, there are, are clergy members that, that, like, discourage people from being involved in this. So like, well, it's private revelation anyway. You know, mm. you don't have to believe it or, you know, or they don't even want it. Like, want, want it. Like, I just, can you speak, do you have any experience with why there's such backlash on something so beautiful, so important? And I think it has to do with a misunderstanding and a superficial understanding of what divine mercy is because people just look at, the spark notes version of the story it's about jesus appearing to a polish nun uh and telling her to paint this image and write this diary and it's all private revelation and and we shouldn't make a bigger deal of it than, than, than it is it's just that and you don't see the deeper theological significance of how it's connected to all the sacraments um from uh, baptism and the fact that 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 ocean of mercy it starts in baptism uh, to confession in the most obvious sense to the Eucharist uh, talking about the Vine Mercy Chaplet um, the, the prayer that's said on the big larger beads um, uh, Eternal Father I offer you the body blood soul and divinity the Eucharist of our Lord Jesus Christ an atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. The Eucharist is the atonement of our sins and those of the whole world. What can we offer to God for the forgiveness of our sins? Nothing. No sacrifice is enough. That's why all the Old Testament sacrifices are, are put to an end with the one final sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We're offering God's gift to us, offering it back to him. So the Eucharist praying the Divine Mercy Chapel at the hour of death, uh, anointing of the sick. So so like all these uh, sacraments are so integ in integrated, in integrally connected to the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Uh, the message there is just so deep, but too many people look at the surface. And actually with John Paul II, um, even though he was Pope, you know, he has the Congregational Doctrine of the Faith, and he, in, in, he was having the Congregational Doctrine of the Faith uh, liturgically, and that the Congregation for uh, Divine Worship and, and the Sacraments uh, make this part of the liturgy. Yeah. And he was receiving pushback from his own advisors, his own cardinals and, and bishops. Um, like, 
how are we making this private revelation, a, a, a public, uh, a public integration of our church? Um, and this is where Cardinal Ratzinger, um, when he was the prefect, was very influential, very helpful because he wanted to ensure that there aren't loopholes, that there aren't people such as certain priests that are able to pick holes at it and say. Oh, this is a sham. You know, this is John Paul II with his Nash, with his Polish pride, and and just just supporting his own comrade and and, and excuse me, his own compatriot, and 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 just this is like this Polish thing, and uh, and it's like not, and and therefore I think it was after at least three attempts in which John Paul II, uh, when he got was getting pushback from the Congregational Doctrine of Faith and Divine Office, the Divine Office of Divine Worship. Like, like we can't make this public. We like in public, you know, public yeah. in the missal, public in the public liturgical celebration. He's like, like we need to make sure we have the adequate explanation uh, for it. Uh, and and Cardinal Ratzinger was the one that was very influential in finally giving, making sure it's it's polished off to that degree that yes, this is an integral message. It's not about a private revelation to a woman in the 1930s. It's something connected to the larger devotion of the church. And when you think about it, um, it's the same thing with like the Sacred Heart devotion. Sacred Heart devotion is to uh, St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. It's still in the Missal. Uh, it's it's still a, a major celebration. We have the whole month of the Sacred Heart in in yeah, June. So why? Um, yeah. and, and it's and it, but because we're historically detached from St. Margaret Mary Alacoque from the 16th century. So, so it's not about okay. So this French woman got this revelation. We're making a yeah, big yeah. deal about the French woman getting the revelation. No, it's the Sacred Heart. It's the message of the Sacred Heart. Like Jesus's heart is is the Sacred Heart. It's a tender heart. That's the message. The same thing with Divine Mercy. Don't get hung up about the Polish nun. It's beautiful. It's great. Her life story is amazing. But the, but too many. But but there's people who say, oh yeah, but you can't. It's 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 one person that had visions. There, and that. Misses the whole deeper message, and and, and, but but here's the thing, okay? So, about, about uh, private, revel I get it's private, right? But the th problem that I have of people with just poo-pooing private revelation is that, okay, I understand it's not like coming from the apostles, but the church has approved these things, of right? So that's what I don't understand. Like, how can the church approve like this happened? Oh, but you don't, you don't have to believe it, like. If Jesus Christ actually appeared to this nun or to uh, Mary Margaret, I'll, I'm uh, Alcoke, butchering yeah. her name. I'm butchering her yeah. name. Or the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared the, in Knock yeah, or, or the children of Fatima. Fatima. Like, yeah. So, like, why do we make such a big deal of, like, it's only private? Like, if Mary appeared, that's the mother of God appearing. Sure. If Jesus Christ appeared, that's Jesus Christ. Yeah. So I, I don't really understand the whole why we just label it private. That's my own hang up. So because like if it ha like if Mary appeared in Fatima for a message for the world, exactly. that's not something to say, well, you really don't have to believe it. Mm -hmm. So now this is me. This is not the, like the Catholic Church saying this. This is just me. Father Paul, who is just speculating, asking questions. I'm not making anything definitive. I, I'm not allowed to. I have. I, I just. I, it's just. I think something that people ask. Like, but wait. How do we? Why do we have to? We don't have to believe it. But, but if Mary appeared and said that, then mm. shouldn't we appear? Now I get. I do get that some people 
they 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 make more out of these apparitions than you know even like going to church. Like mm-hmm. they become maybe a little too fanatical with one devotion. So I I, I do understand the prudence, but it's just been a a, a thing that I don't because for me I take it very seriously. If the Mother of God appeared or if Jesus God uh, Jesus Christ appeared and the church has approved it, mm-hmm. then I'm going to believe it. Yeah. So that's my. And I think you have a, a a rather accurate perspective on it. And I think what you touched upon towards the end of your commentary, what you said, the prudence of the church. Uh, because certain people um, will focus on the devotion and the apparition and the message of the revelation more than anything else. And the church needs to be prudent in it that, for example, like... Um, uh, blessed um, Catherine Emmerich, like like people are, are like like reading every one of her diaries, and it's like they, they know her diaries better than they know um, the this, the gospels, and it's like no, like okay, there's a lot of insights that she has as to the suffering of Jesus, but you and she is a blessed in the church, but you you can't know her writing better than you know the gospels. You can't uh, know the story of Fatima better than you know the story of the crucifixion. And certain people, they they unfortunately live by the apparitions. It's every apparition is is all is everything. Is this the faith to them? So the church says the, the apparition is tangential to the public revelation it's in support of the public revelation it's something that that uh, comes out of the public revelation it's 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 a needed expression of the public revelation it's an elaboration and ex, um, exposition of the, the the public revelation but you have to have that that public revelation central so even as as we have in the liturgy it's the second sunday of easter or divine mercy sunday um, and it's n- and it's not or as in unfortunately in English we have like one word for or it's either or but it, um, in in Latin uh, there's the, the sense of or as in another way we could see this as like think about like the Roman canon it's like 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 we all the first Eucharistic prayer we offer the, the this uh, sacrifice uh, for the people. Or they offer it for themselves. Yeah, what? I, it, I don't like, like that at all. By the way, because like, it's our English translation. It's like we all we offer this for for the people, or I, they offer it for themselves. I it's do like, not, it's not like either that. or. It's not either I, the priest, offer on oh, your behalf, okay. or okay. go ahead, you could offer it for yourself. You don't need me. I'm gonna go take <laughs> yeah. take a, a, a smoke break and that's the and, only and, thing in the missile I don't like because it's so weird in our English. It is. It's, or it's they offer it for themselves. It's English. Hey, I don't need to be here. But it's it's it's. Or in addition to, like, or in addition to. So it's not either or one or the other. It's, um, so it's the second Sunday of Easter. Or and another way it could be said is Divine Mercy Sunday. Yeah, all right. And then you see, like, like the gospel from the... the Was Pope Benedict the, in favor of this, by the way? He was. Uh, obviously very cautious. He's very okay. theologically oriented. So, so he wants to make sure, you know, all the T's are crossed, all the I's are Got dotted. So, 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 so he's not just going to run with it. Um, so he was... And that's why the church... It takes such a while for the church to do that because like John Paul II is like, I know this is right. I know that, 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 that this needs to be promulgated. Um, and, and Benedict's like, 
I agree, or at that point, Cardinal Ratzinger, I agree, I support you, but we need to make sure we do this the right way. Think about like, and I hate using commercial language, like launching a product, but you want to make sure it's launched the right way because otherwise it's going to backfire and fall apart. Uh, so, so like we want to make sure we put the message because otherwise it's going to backfire and people are going to uh, um, have issues with it. Yeah. So it needs to be right, um, rightly offered um and, and, that, and that's why the church acts that way the church acts in a very prudential way and often all, takes forever it often takes forever <laughs> and we're too often impatient for it but ultimately uh, it's for our good it's for the good of the church because it's it's part of our the, it's part of the the something that's eternal it's not just um you know the last 90 years yeah. or the last 30 years that's nothing in comparison to uh, to eternity, so we want this devotion to be in place three hundred years from now and five hundred well, yeah, years like, from now. Well, yeah, to put it, it in be. perspective, Saint Thomas Aquinas, one of the greatest theologians that the church has ever known, for like a long time, didn't like wasn't his work suppressed? There was a time that that it was because of the Aristotelian influence. Um, that that um, during his lifetime, it it, it was. Um, oh, so it wasn't that long. It wasn't after his lifetime, but it took a while for him to become the preeminent doctor of the church. Oh, uh, okay. Right. Uh, because it was others, um, Peter Lombard, for example, that, that were the main ones. And, and it took a while for Thomas Aquinas to actually gain his footing. And there was, and there was skepticism towards Thomas Aquinas's canonization because it's like, why should he be canonized? He just wrote a bunch of books. Mm. Uh, and... Um, the Pope at that time... My point, I guess, yeah. is that things take a long time. It takes a long time, yeah. And, and, and there's constantly people that, that are devil's advocates. The word devil's advocate comes from the church because that's an official position within the church. You have to be a devil's advocate to the canonization of a saint. You have to be a devil's advocate to... Um, they the, actually use that word? That's that's the church. It, it comes from the mercy. church. Well, even Padre Pio, I mean, he, sure, was, his he lifetime, lost his... Yeah. Fa- not his faculties, but like you know, they didn't believe him for a while, so for three years he couldn't say public mass, well, Public right? mass, of course. Course, you know, course. and if, uh, you know, so because they, the church was investigating, investigating, investigating. So, uh, well, listen, uh, Father Bogomil, I thank you. How could we summar up, summarize the entire Divine Mercy message in in one sentence? Seek our Lord in the sacraments, and trust in our Lord in the sacraments. Did Jesus, by the way? Uh, did Jesus talk to her specifically about the sacrament of confession at all? He did. He in, did. In, yes. In, in, in really, uh, he did speak to Sue um, about the need for a sacrament of confession. He spoke to her a lot about priests and, and the lukewarmness of priests, or or the fact that that that. Um, he didn't say the future guy named Paul Hulis, right? <laughs> right? Well, um, okay. <laughs> you might in between the lines, you might yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you might find your name uh, scripted in there. Uh, but but he t- talks about the the, the lukewarmness of the priests. Like 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 people are away from the the church and the sacraments because priests don't make a big deal about it. And it's like yeah, you're you're fine however you are. It's like okay, or or, or priests are, are too really even back then. Yeah, or or, or, or even sometimes sometimes too harsh and then for turns people off both yeah. extremes. Yeah, um, you, you have the the lax extreme and then you have the Jansenist rigorous extreme. And um, but ultimately. Um, Trust in the trust Jesus. I trust in you. Uh, so trust in the Lord. Uh, seek mercy from our Lord, and you find that mercy in the church through the sacraments. That's that's divine mercy. And sac- that's, 
the sacrament of, of reconciliation is actually a sacrament of healing. Yes. It's a sacrament of healing mercy. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to do another episode just on the sacrament of confession. And uh, my research is I'm going to look up specifically what Jesus said to her mm. about, uh, to St. Faustina, that is, about the sacrament of confession. And then I'll include that in my uh, sacrament. I think I'm going to do a couple of series on like why go dot 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 mm. to mass, why go dot That'd dot, be dot great. to confession, you know, like why get married in the church, like why, you know what I mean? Like That'd I, I want to do something on, on each of the sacraments because it's interesting. Um, and I'll talk about this more and others that like people don't question really like that you got to use the church for baptism. Mm. People never question like, oh, why does that, why well, I got to go to church for my gift to get confirmed, you know? Mm. But uh, nobody questions like, oh, you know, um, if I want the sacrament of the sick, I need a priest. Like nobody questions that. Mm. But for some reason, we question, uh, do I really have to go to confession? I mean, God's going to forgive my sins anyway, right? Or the only two sacraments that I, I know that people have a like issue with, like, I mean, I don't have to get married in church. Like, well, you know, mm. like, so it's like, I don't have to go to confession and I don't have to get married in the church. Well, why is that different from baptism? Why is that different from confirmation? Mm. Why is that different from um, the uh, the sacrament of the sick? Why is that different from uh, holy orders? Nobody questions like, and especially nobody questions like, well, you know, do we really need the priest for the mass? Mm. Like no Catholics at least. Yeah. So I, I want to do a thing on the sacraments. So I think that's, I'm just thinking out loud here. I'm, I might even edit this out. So, um, but anyway, uh, so thank you. You, you, I am in awe of your knowledge and of your, and I know you're a great priest. And honestly, you're, I, I want you on here just to talk about, you know, your life, your story. Uh, we can even talk uh, maybe about what it's like to be a, um, uh, a chaplain, a chaplain at, the a, at, a, at all, you know, at an all boy Catholic high school and all sure. this stuff. So, uh, I'm honored by your presence. I think this is a great episode. I think that people will get a lot out of it. So, and people, thank you for having me on the, on this episode. Love to come back. Love ch chatting with you. We're great friends, and um, you know, have me on whenever yeah, you well, want. I can have you on for so many things: theology, the body, <laughs> you know, Our Lady of uh, of Chester Hova. Yeah. I mean, so many stuff. So you you'll probably become my first recurring guest. Nice. Uh, <laughs> I'm honored. I'm definitely honored. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> And uh, if there's anything I could ever do for you, uh, just please let me know. Amen. So Thank listen, you. the Divine Mercy, uh, get the diary, the, the Divine Mercy diary. Uh, we talked about the chaplet of Divine Mercy a couple of times. Uh, we didn't get into what that is or how to do it or anything like that, but just look it up, the chaplet of Divine Mercy. You could do it on your rosary, very easy, very quick. It's really beautiful, especially at the hour of Divine Mercy. So um, there's YouTube videos about it, other podcasts about it. Uh, we're going to sign off here for now. Uh, God bless you. Say a prayer for us. We'll pray for you. And take a look in the show notes, and I will specifically give resources uh, for this divine mercy. Father Bogomil, thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Father Paul. Yeah.